The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. What's happening tonight, fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you on it on the most anticlimactic National Football Signing Day in history. Thank God for that. Um, <laughs> it really was. I mean, like three players. Thank God for the early signing period, man. I was busy. Early signing, early signing period is now National Signing Day. I know. I know. Let's that, just let's just do that. Changing. Yeah. Let's call this yeah. the, let's call this the late signing period, and then that's National yeah. Signing Day. Uh, it's a big week for UCF sports uh, here at Black and Gold Banneret, blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are the home of the UCF Knights on SB Nation. You can follow us there and at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. And we're all on Twitter, UCF underscore banneret. And uh, subscribe to this podcast, by the way, if you don't already. iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever fine podcasts are distributed for free. Um the biggest thing that's going on, by the way, a little in just a little bit, we will talk about that big thing. Um, the uh, Knights hosting number twelve ranked Houston on uh, Thursday in men's basketball at CFE Arena. Huge game in the American. Huge game for UCF's national profile uh, in terms of the, the the chance to get into the tournament. Maybe as a uh, as an at large, if they don't win the conference tournament in Memphis later this year, uh, national TV on uh, CBS Sports Network. So. It's uh, so there's a lot going on. We will talk with Sam Raz from our, our, one of our friends from the Scott and Holman podcast covering the Houston Cougars. Um, we'll also talk about uh, women's basketball as well as they continue their run uh, and they head on the road for uh, their next few games before they return home to play UConn. Uh, and uh, lots more to talk about. I mean, I mentioned National Sign Day, but whatever, we'll get to that later. Um, I wanted to, uh, so we'll talk about the uh, the game coming up against Houston. On, <clears throat> excuse me, Thursday night, February 7th, 7 p.m. CBS Sports Network is carrying it live. How about CBS Sports Network grabbing this game, huh? This is the game. This is the matchup between the team that was picked to win the American in the in the preseason as uh, uh, as UCF was against the team that is in first place in the American. Well, tied for first place with Cincinnati, but. Um, the Cougs are twenty-one and one. They've lo- their only loss was to Temple at Temple earlier this year by four points uh, in a game that was very close. Um, and uh, this is well, here we go, Brian Murphy and Eric Lopez. This is the big challenge for UCF men's basketball, and it starts a brutal month of February that they've got coming up, which we'll talk about in uh, just a little bit. But uh, um, I. I, God, I hate this question so much. Please forgive me for asking it. Is this a must-win, Brian Murphy? There we go. I, go ahead, Murph. You go first. I know you're like, looking forward to that question, Murph. <laughs> uh, no, I, I hate it. It's, it's I hate not. It. It's not. <laughs> okay, it's good. Definitely not the most, it's definitely not a must-win. Uh, winning this game would help more than losing it would hurt. Um, you know, you like you know, UCF has. Uh, you know, quite a, a number of opportunities to, to to get quality wins down the stretch of their schedule with ten games left before the conference tournament. None, probably more so than when they face Houston, uh, one tomorrow at home, and then one in early March uh, in Houston. Um, but still, with with Cincinnati twice, you have Temple, you have USF, which is really improved. 
uh, and you have uh, SMU on the road, there are chances for UCF to get decent wins. Uh, this would obviously be a big marquee win, one of the biggest wins in recent memory for the regular season for this program. But is it a must win? Uh, no, it is much, much, very, very, very far from that. Well, uh, ah. uh, <laughs> well, okay, Lopez, go ahead. You're about to you're about to throw a wrench into this. Go ahead. No, no, I I agree with Murph from the standpoint. I, this is not a must win from a season long journey deal. I mean, the season is not over. It's not going to be done if they lose this game. I will say, I do think it's a must win as far as aspirations to win the regular season championship because I think if UCF were to lose to Houston here they would be two games back in the loss column plus they would have lost to Houston they got to go back to Houston later in the year which I that's a tough place to play Houston's got a long winning streak there the you, longest you might, right now right the in the country. Streak. yeah and, and and so you're really probably out of the regular season championship race if you lose this game I don't see them making that ground up uh, especially with the way the schedules kind of play out on both sides. Uh, so from that standpoint, I do think it's a must win. However, uh, I think it's not a must win from a season. I think it's a big game, though, because I do think UCF, this is a big opportunity to improve that resume. And, uh, you know, if you get a win over Houston in your resume, where you know, that is a huge bump. You go from, uh, oh, I don't know if this is an NCAA tournament team to, oh, yeah, they're, they're now, you know, what seed do they get? Whereas if you lose this game, you got a lot of work to do. So it's a, it's an exciting game. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's one of the bigger home games in UCF basketball history because I don't recall a UCF basketball team having a game like this in February with NCAA tournament implications. It, usually by this time in the year, especially you know over the last decade, maybe uh, you, you were thinking, well, maybe we got a shot at the NIT. But this, this is NCAA tournament implications, and that's – What's going to be exciting about this uh, with Houston coming in? Probably the biggest home game since that uh, NIT uh, Elite Eight game, no? Oh, yeah. Illinois. Yeah, yeah. yeah against Illinois. Uh, here's here's what I think about this, and uh, and we're going to get to uh, Sam here in just a second. But um, I found the uh, team sheets, as they call it, so uh, for the net ranking. So on the women's side and the men's side, the NCAA publishes their sort of team profiles based on those big ranking systems that they like to use, the RPI and for the women uh, and for the men, the net. And the net has this quadrant system that everyone's talking about. I'm not going to go into detail here, but this is why I think this game is so huge. You see, uh, uh, quadrant one wins. Those are big wins. Uh, wins against, uh, uh, Games against uh, teams ranked number 1 through 30 at home, 1 through 50 on a neutral court, 1 through 75 away. UCF has played two Quadrant 1 games so far this season, and they're 1-1. One one. They beat UConn at UConn, and they lost to Memphis uh, at Memphis. Here's why this is big, though. This Houston game is the first of, at least as of right now, uh, six Quadrant 1 games remaining on the schedule. Now, UConn, um, they're at 75. They're right on the cusp. Um, you know, we don't know what we don't know what's going to happen with them at least as of right now. But the Knights have two games against Houston, two game who's eighth by the way in the net, uh, two games against uh, Cincinnati who's twenty fifth in the net, and then away an away game with, with Temple who's fifty four, and then an away game with South Florida who's seventy. Um, they might lose, and they might lose that win with UConn. I think what what happened, Brian? They lost earlier tonight. Is that right? 
Yes, they lost by double digits at Temple. Right. Okay. And that and then we're recording this on Wednesday night for those of you for those of you who are who are listening. And and by the way, um, UCF does have a game remaining uh, against uh, against Temple. So, and their Temple win earlier was a quadrant two game because it was at home against Temple. So. This is this if you're going to get off to a good start here, um, in uh, in in this month where you're gonna where where we are going to find out if this team is tournament worthy, you got to protect the home court because only two of these six quadrant one games are at home. So, in particular, I, I you know it is again like you said, Murph, is it a must win? No, but. You'd really, 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 really like to have it. No? Of course. You'd li- yeah. I mean, you'd like to have them all, but... You'd, you'd yeah. like to be a top 15 team. What a, yeah. what a shock. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I just try, I'm just trying to say... Just real thrill with it. I'm just no, right? yeah. I'm just setting up my I'm just setting up the panic button thing for next week's show. So oh. yeah, there you go. All right, we'll put that away for now. Um. All right, so uh, we got to talk about the Cougs because they're really good this year. And uh, if the Knights are able to pull it out, it's going to be a big victory for them. Uh, and uh, we reached out to one of our friends on the internets uh, on uh, the Scott and Holman podcast covering University of Houston Cougars. Sam Raz joined us a little bit earlier, and here's our interview with Sam. And joining us now, uh, one of our friends from the Scott and Holman podcast covering the University of Houston, Sam Raz, joins us now uh, to talk about the Cougars and the uh, unreal run that they have had uh, this year in the top 10. Um, They've played themselves basically into being the class of the American. UCF was picked in the preseason to be the number one team in the American, but Houston has simply taken the baton. And, uh, well, let me start you with this, Sam. Um... I think if you ask a lot of casual UCF fans about Houston, they would say, oh, it's, they, do they still have the guy with the man bun? And uh, the answer is no, they don't. And, they're, and they have one loss on the season. The Cougs are 21-1, and 8-1 and one in conference. Their only loss was uh, in conference, in Temple, by four points. Um, I, well, I'll ask the obvious. <laughs> did, at the start of the season, did you guys think that Anything like this was possible from the Cougs? I think me and my co-host thought that it was a decent chance that this team could equal last year's team in terms of being a, you know, top two or three of the league team that goes to the NCAA tournament is difficult to play against. I thought we were both pretty high on what this team had back. Corey Davis, Armani Brooks, other guys you'll probably mention at a later point in this interview, but did I think this team was going 21, 21 of their first 22 with the one loss being a fairly close loss? No, I, I did not. This team has exceeded expectations when I think the fan base writ large and certainly myself had high expectations. It's been an incredible year, you know, suffice it to say so far. How have they managed to do it? Like what has been what has been working for this team this year to get them to this point? I think it's it's twofold. It's defense and also the fact that this is a very balanced team that has lots of good scores. The defense, yeah, I think the team returned their best two on-ball defenders, Corey Davis, uh, the shooting guard, and Galen Robinson. 
they're guys who aren't very tall. I think both of them are just barely above six foot, but they both are just incredible. They're, they're the two guys that you're going to have you know, on the best play. I, I'm sure it's going to be Corey Davis on BJ Taylor on Thursday night. I'm very excited for it. I'm not saying Corey's going to shut him down or anything like that. I'm just very excited to see two very good guards you know, go mano a mano. And just really, unless you're a good defender and someone who works very hard on that in the floor, you're not going to play for a Kelvin Sampson team. He's very much emphasized defense and effort. And that, you know, Rob Gray was great. You mentioned him at the jump with the man bun. Rob Gray is one of my two or three favorite U of H athletes, but there have been times the last couple of years when, you know, when guys, the shots aren't falling, you know, kind of go to Rob Gray and hope that Rob Gray bails the team out. Our tournament win over San Diego State, everyone played pretty terribly offensively except for Rob Gray, who had just about 40 points, and that's that's not this year's team. You know, you have Corey Davis stepping up some games. You have Armani Brooks stepping up some games. Nate Hinton, a top 100 freshman, probably Kelvin Sampson's biggest recruit to date, has been really good at times. Dead Alley, Breon Brady, the big man. It's been so many guys have shown the ability to step up on this team that this isn't the Corey Davis and Armani Brooks team. This is a team with seven or eight guys really on any given night who can, you know, kind of carry the load when other guys, you know, aren't having their best nights as basketball teams are wont to do. No one, no one certainly in this league is gonna, that kind of consistent performer. Sam, you know, going UCF has had a lot of problems uh, rebounding this year. Conversely, though, Houston, one of the best rebounding teams in the nation. And I think it's summed up perfectly by something Greg Marshall, the head coach at Wichita State, said a few weeks ago. He said, watching Houston rebound is like they're going after a sandwich and they haven't eaten in a week. Uh, so can you talk about how this team rebounds, sort of the collective ferocity in which they rebound with, and what kind of challenge sort of awaits UCF on the glass on Thursday? You know, I think what makes this Houston team so unique is it's not just the bigs that are – great rebounders it's one through ten basically in terms of rotation guys I think it's summed up pretty well our last win over Temple Dejan Giroux um, you know a shooting guard probably our first guard off the bench had 12 rebounds against Temple so I mean that that tells you every single guy on the floor is taking rebounding seriously they um, they practice it really hard I know um, at times, Kelvin Samson will put something over the rim so every shot goes out, so they constantly practice mm-hmm. rebounding. It's really something from the word go here. We heard you know stories about the cone around the rim and just the intensity at which Kelvin Samson demanded they practice rebounding really from his first year before this team got excellent at it. It was last year, year four, when we really started to see that pay dividends, and it's just it's part of the culture of this team, just rebounding. And you're not going to, kind of like I said, you're not going to get on the floor if you don't give effort on the defensive end and all that. You're not going to get on the floor if you're someone who just kind of takes off rebounding. It's it's not a height thing either because there's really only one rotation guy in this Cougar team that's above 6'8", Chris Harris, who's still probably, you know, the third choice big man in this team when it's all said and done. So it's it's got to come from all five positions. It's, Really, it's what gives me the greatest hope because I think UCF is going to be a very tough team in Orlando. It's this team's ability to do that that makes me think, you know, that they can make a game out of it, I think. 
Well, I got a the, the lighter question. My question, Calvin Sampson, who we'll talk about here on a lighter note. Me and Brian Murphy <laughs> were in many Houston, uh, near Houston benches during the American Conference Championship last year at the Amway Center. And our favorite parts, and we're looking forward to this on Thursday night, is how long before Coach Sampson takes off the jacket? I was curious, <laughs> is that a, a thing that is looked at over there? Has that been covered? And do we have an average time length on the jacket? Do we have any theories would, on when and on that? I would say <laughs> about the midway point between tip-off and the first media timeout, you can expect him to take the jacket off. <laughs> if, a U of, if a U of H player throws the ball into the stands or something like that, uh, you can expect it quicker. I don't know if you guys know, uh, know this um, – I thought the direction I thought you were going in was uh, the tie. The tie, uh, yeah. Really, usually, especially usually after a younger player on the Houston team does something <laughs> boneheaded, the tie comes off, and that actually earned him a technical uh, in Philly against Temple, much to the uh, <laughs> surprise of all in the Houston fan base and coaching staff. <laughs> so, it's a good like, point about oh, the tie. A good point about the tie. We did forget Murph at that tie because yeah, the, sometimes he did both at the same time. Sometimes he just let, let one of them go last year in the championship. So you're right; he's got a lot of different maneuvers he can go to. <laughs> if it's a good night, and I'm not saying it is or isn't going to be a good night, the tie is going to be on uh, at the end of regulation. Although, mm. and given given the challenges that UCF poses, I would be surprised. Okay, so the so objective number one is keep Kelvin Sampson dressed. All right, got it. Yeah, uh, that's important. But uh, can you talk about the, the the job he's done there? I mean, everybody knows about the the fly the, the great tradition with Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler and Guy Lewis in the early '80s. Elvin Hayes, who's a radio analyst, uh, obviously in the great success they even had prior to that. But you know, outside of some decent years from Tom Pender there, the the program hasn't been what it was uh, in the '80s. And certainly, Coach Sampson's got him the number twelve ranked. If, if fans. Over there, bought in. I know it's a tough town. I've gone there every other year. I love Houston, but it, you know they got the Texans, you've got the Rockets, you got the Astros, obviously in their success, and even obviously with Houston football and everything like that. Have, have people bought in there? Are they all in now? And Coach Sampson there? What has that been like since he's taken over? Yeah, I think the fan base has bought in on Kelvin Sampson. I've I've been someone who you know I enrolled as a student in 2007, so yeah, I caught the Penders years, and Penders did a decent job, but it's a program that it's been a pretty, I guess, dark period for it from, you know, the early nineties up until, you know, Penders did, I think did the best with what he could in conference USA in an aging facility and in an athletics department that at the time honestly didn't give basketball what it deserved or enough to really elevate it more than Penders did. But, you know, I was me and my co-host at the time, you know, James Dickey was the guy between, Penders and Samson and you know bless his heart to use a little Texanism it just he wasn't cut out for the job and when we heard Kelvin Samson was interested you know I think my coast and I knew about Indiana but I don't think we really cared that much about it I was surprised I was like why would you want to slum it here he can you know he's in the NBA right now he was the number two behind Kelvin uh, Kevin McHale excuse me with the Rockets why does he want to come back to this program with at the time a horrific aging facility completely non-existent fan support in a much more difficult basketball league where like the path to turning U of H into a respectable program is much more fraught and by year two this was at least a respectable NIT level team and that's when I bought in personally I was like if this guy without fan support without the facilities can at least get this team respectable enough to be about top 70 in Kempom this guy's the real McCoy and just 
you know, whatever you think about what happened in Indiana, I mean, he's broke NCAA rules that are no longer on the books. So take that for what it's worth. The guy can coach basketball. The guy can evaluate talent because other than Nate Hinton, who I mentioned earlier, this isn't a team full of blue chip recruits. He's gotten a lot out of guys who were overlooked by most programs. I just think this year speaks for itself. This isn't a team that's lucky to be 21 and one right now. It's a team that this is one of the best 15 or 20 in the country. It doesn't obviously guarantee anything on Thursday. Cause like we're going to be playing another tournament caliber team and winning on the road in college basketball, I think is really just about the toughest thing you can conjure up in terms of winning on the road in any sport. But yeah. this team hasn't gotten there by luck. And I think a healthy amount of Kelvin Sampson's, coaching ability has helped him get there too Sam this month of February for both of these squads is going to be absolutely brutal because I'm looking obviously we've talked about UCF schedule coming up but you guys have uh, Cincinnati twice coming up Uh, UConn seems to be steadying the ship a little bit under Danny Hurley Uh, you never know what you're going to get against uh, 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 aside from uh, Tulane, who obviously they're having a god awful year, but um, yeah. you, you, sometimes you never know we what, know you're, what gonna... you're gonna get from Tulane. We yeah, know what yeah, you get. know what you're gonna get from Tulane. Sometimes you don't know what you're gonna get though from SMU, though. USF is on the schedule coming up, and they're improved this year. Uh, it, well, how much of a test down the stretch do you think this is going to be for the Cougs heading into the tournament up in Memphis? Yeah, I mean th- this next three games, I think is going to be. Really, it's going to be a good way to see where this team is at. We've got you guys on Thursday, Cincy at home on Sunday, and then next Thursday, I believe, at UConn. And I don't think UConn's any great shakes this year, but they're good enough at home that I'm not just going to mentally pencil in that as a win. And, you know, I think I think this team is good enough to, you know, win at least a couple of these games. But, you know, if, if this team somehow gets 3-0 and from this stretch of games – I'll be absolutely floored. It's just there's there's enough about this league that I you know just winning on the road is such a challenge. This team has won a lot of not close games like a bucket or so, but really if you looked up and down this Cougar schedule, there's not a ton of blowouts. You know, fifteen to twenty point or worse. You know, wins in there. You know, even you know, we played Wichita State at home a few weeks back and. You know, I think Greg Marshall's a great coach, but this is certainly not a vintage Wichita State team. And up until the last, like, three or four minutes, it was a lot more interesting than I think just about everyone in the arena expected. So I think that's, if you're going to look at something about this Cougar team, they haven't run a lot of teams out of the gym. I think they're a little bit less offensively explosive without someone like Rob Gray, although I think it's a better defensive team. So, yeah, I think for better or for worse, we'll know a lot more about this team after this month, certainly, and next three games, I think more specifically. Yeah, and when you and you know, I was looking at the net too uh, before we before we hopped on. And Houston uh, has three uh, top or three quadrant one games under their belt. They're two and one. They have four left on the schedule, though that may drop down to three with UConn. I think Brian, you were saying that they lost earlier, so. Um, so and they're right at seventy five, yeah. although they're playing them away. So, but um, it, it's still, it's, you know, we're going to get a real good test here. Let me let me ask you this: Is it still? You know, I, I'm looking at some of the bracket predictions, and you know, Houston is kind of fighting for 
that seating position. Uh, I'm trying to pull up bracket matrix right now to actually pull up exactly where they are. But you know, when you start looking ahead to March, you know, they're thinking Houston's probably going to be a low three seed. Does that sound about right to you, or do you think that they could move up? Uh, based on the results that we see the rest of the way. Let's say that, yeah, in fact, let's say they go ahead and win out, and or not win out, but let's say they win the conference tournament as they will likely be expected to do. Um, could they have a shot at a one seed, possibly? I don't think so with a one seed. I do think if this team, including conference tournament, is able to get to, let's say, like 31, 32 wins after we're done with the AAC tournament, probably, I think, have to win the AAC tournament. I think this team could be a two seed, but one seed, I think it's not maybe impossible, but a lot of things would have to break a certain direction for that to happen. You know, a lot of those teams that are currently occupying the one slot would have to lose or something like that. So I think only the most far-fetched scenarios, is, is this a one seed? I think two seed possibly, but, you know, gun to my head right now, if I wanted to guess where this team is going to be seed-wise, I would say it'd be a three seed come selection Sunday. And this Saturday is the first unveiling of at least the top 16, four in each region, the first, like, look at the bracket. Yeah. Uh, and you would expect that Houston would certainly be part of that first 16 this weekend. You would expect so, but I, you know, I, I've given up trying to predict the committee. <laughs> for me if the area. You guys are like, uh, you guys are like us. You're like, oh man, it's just I never put anything past him. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely right. I mean, but yeah, but you got to play games. I mean, at the end of the day, it take, kind of takes care of itself. Yeah. I, you know, I want to ask you about. I know the Fertitta Center has been renovated. I want you to, to just talk about that because it looks beautiful on TV. I, I've talked to people over there. The atmosphere is electric. Obviously, it's become a tremendous home court advantage. I'm curious about the school's commitment to the program. Obviously, it's been well documented. Uh, the Dana Hogerson situation there, how he got to Houston and the money that where it came from and the investment they've made on Hogerson on football. Do you see something like that with basketball, uh, with Coach Sampson and, and, the, you know, and, the, and the basketball commitment, or could that be an issue here? Because, you know, Sampson with the success he's doing in Houston is probably going to be a hot name that's going to be talked about elsewhere in the offseason. Yeah, I think the Fertitta Center was, is an excellent commitment just in its own right. It is a gorgeous arena, I would say among state of texas arenas right now and i've been to just about all of them except for the haskins center in el paso and the united spirit arena in uh, or whatever it's calling itself now at texas tech i've been to just about every division one facility in the state and this is 100 the nicest one it is it's great they downsized it from hoffline's pavilion i think that's kind of a tough decision to make because you're forfeiting three or four thousand tickets but they just decided you know having seven seven thousand some changed seats and every seat being a good one is worth more than you know, having a 10, 11,000 seat arena that, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm so born bred, love Houston, all that, uh, a town that isn't, it's not a good enough sports town to fill up a 10, 11,000 seat college arena regularly. And I think it was a smart move to get it on the scale. It was. And one other thing I should have mentioned earlier is in Samson's second year, they, debuted a basketball-only practice facility uh, adjacent to the current arena that also kind of serves as a Cougar Basketball Hall of Fame, you know, to all the guys that you mentioned earlier, the Elvin Hayes and Otis Birdsong and Michael Young, Kim Olajuwon, on and on and on and on. And so that, you know, the practice facilities are good now. The game facilities are very good. 
And that's obviously a stark change from when Samson arrives. So I think that commitment is there. It is notable, and it's been noticed by the Cougar fan base, that a lot of coaches have signed extensions. Dana Holgerson obviously came in with the big contract. Kelvin Sampson looked very closely last year at the Orlando Magic opening. And, in fact, I don't believe him not taking that job was because he turned it down. I think it's just because they chose to go with um, Steve Clifford instead. Uh, I think Kelvin Sampson was seriously considering that opening. I do quite, you know, I, I think his his baggage is actually sort of a blessing in this case for U of H because I think incorrectly some programs will look at Sampson, but they'll look at, well, Indy, it didn't end well to Indiana, and he did have sections in Oklahoma. I don't know if that will deter all suitors, though. I, I do think he does like being in Houston. His son, Kellen, is U of H's top recruiter. His daughter, Lauren, is runs the team's social media. So, yeah, I, I think that is a serious consideration for him. Would he be able to employ both of his kids at another stop? He's also in his 60s at this point. So I could see Houston being his last stop, but I'm, I've been through this rodeo many times. I'm certainly not arrogant enough to say that if a program with big bucks and a bigger conference affiliation comes rolling around, that he wouldn't take one last crack at that. Well, to be let's be honest, who has it ended for well at Indiana of late? Um, yeah, that's, 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 my, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> Uh, as we finish up, give me a, give me a quick score prediction here. What do you think? Uh, I'm putting you on the spot. What do you think is going to happen on uh, Thursday night in Orlando? I think regardless of um, what I'm going to pick here, I think it's going to be within five points either way. That's my that's my parachute. You know, if my prediction is <laughs> hilariously wrong here, I think regardless, even if Houston does pull this out, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be a game that's decided in the last handful of seconds. I do think the rebounding is going to help this Cougar team. I do think that's going to be an area where the Cougs do well. I've, I'm very excited to see B.J. Taylor versus Corey Davis. I, I think that probably will decide. I'm going to go out limb here. I think it's going to be U of H 72, USF 70. Or UCF. Oh, golly. What, <laughs> easy there. Easy there. That could hey, get you some trouble, hey, man. Hey, listen. I know, man. Oh, man. Just, uh, be sure to roast me on that next week when my prediction is surely wrong or something like that. But I'm 72-70 Cougars, but I think it could go either way. This is a game we've pretty much been looking ahead to since the beginning of the season because you know UCF has been predicted to win the league, had so much coming back, and yeah, it's it's gonna be tough. I've I have a hard time really picturing my mind's eye winning in Orlando against a fully healthy team because it's just not something we've ever done before. Boy, I tell you, this is going to be a game that we, I mean, even I can't even really figure out. I think, Murph, what did you tell me before we went on that the line was Houston by two right now? Houston minus two, yeah. Houston, Houston minus, minus two. two. Okay, so, oh, man. Well, good luck with that. Uh, Sam Raz from the Scott and Holman podcast. Podcast, I should say, if I'm saying that right. Um, real quick, Sam, before we let you go, uh, tell uh, UCF fans uh, uh, how they can uh, reach out to you to get on your case about calling UCF USF. And also, so, and also following some of your other content regarding the University of Houston. We are on Twitter, and we are most active on Twitter, at SH Podcast, S-H-P-A-W-D-Cast. Uh, never fear, we recognize uh, UCF as the rightful 2017 season national champions. Uh, 
So good save, good yeah. save there, Sam. Well we're done. Also, we're also on Facebook, <laughs> iTunes. We obviously talked uh, a bunch about UCF this week. We called this game a rock fight. That's kind of our uh, little descriptor whenever we face an opponent that's going to be real rugged and difficult. And yeah, we're for Facebook, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, everywhere you get podcasts. We're there talking Cougs and talking a little AAC too. Sounds good, Sam. Thank you so much. Sam Raz from the Scott and Holman podcast. Uh, enjoy the game. We'll be, uh, we'll be reaching out to you on uh, Twitter on Thursday night, man. Thanks again. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Thanks again to uh, Sam. It should be fun uh, seeing how the rest of this plays out for Houston, but at least for UCF's case, um, this is going to be uh, this is going to be a tough one. And uh, I, and I think you were right. What you were mentioning to him earlier, Murph, about the rebounding problems that UCF has had, they have got to find a way to keep this Houston team, which, by the way, is physically pretty small by comparison. Can't uh, find a way to keep them off the boards because if they don't, this thing could get out of hand in a hurry. No. Yeah, I mean, their leading rebounder is a 6'3 guard, Namani Brooks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, they, they send everybody to the glass. They have they have nine guys who average at least three, re- three rebounds a game and then a tenth guy who's at 2.9. Uh, UCF, by comparison, has five guys averaging three rebounds a game. I think that's going to really decide this game, especially on the offensive end. We know UCF has had, has had problems uh, cleaning up the glass on, on opponent's shots. Not letting them get off its rebounds. That's been a real issue for UCF all season. And that's something that that, that Houston thrives in. And I just um I'd be interested to see how guys like Taco Fall and Chad Brown and and Colin Smith deal with that undersized athleticism that Houston's gonna bring. Yeah, it's it's gonna be something that we're gonna have to it, 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 this is gonna this is gonna be one of those games where those guys and I, I think in particular Taco Fall, this is a big opportunity for him. Houston, by the way, eleventh in the country in rebounding margin. They're plus 7.9 on the glass uh, uh, for the season per game. So that tells you exactly what UCF is going to have to deal with here um, with this uh, with this Cougar team. And, I, again, I still can't believe their best rebounder is 6'3". I mean, this is you know, it, this can go one way or the other in a hurry. Either UCF is going to look really, really slow or Houston is going to look really, really small at times in this game. So CBS Sports Network... Uh, for the game live television coverage. We will have our um, live feed up for you uh, on blackandgoldbanneret.com. Number 12, Houston, 7 p.m. Thursday at CFE Arena. Uh, what do you think the crowd's going to be? Do you think we're gonna, actually going to get a really good crowd for this? I hope we do, but, you know, you never know. Better. <laughs> we, no, I mean, we better. Yeah. Well, or else no what, excuses. really? You I know? Mean, no more excuses. I mean, this is one of the biggest home games ever. I mean, and you've had a whole week. This is a showdown. you got the 12th-ranked team in the country. It's one of the highest-ranked teams. Brian has uh, tweeted about it, and he can go more into detail on the history of ranked teams playing at the CFE Arena because him and I talked about it at the women's game. I mean, this is big. I mean, this is a huge game, and we've talked about in past episodes how important home crowds are and the home court advantage in this conference and in college basketball. And this is a great opportunity. There's a reason why Houston has struggled in Orlando. You know, I, I'll never forget a game 12 years ago. Mike, I call it the Michael Donald game where UCF beat Houston in overtime and the crowd at the old arena, at the old uh, UCF arena, was just all over at the Houston players and it was an exciting moment and there's been moments like that and that I, it would be huge to have the fans come and support because unfortunately Brian and I saw the opposite of that 
at the American Conference Championship game, uh, semifinals at the Amway Center, where there was no UCF fans, and Houston dominated that game. And Brian, you you were uh, you were at the presser where BJ brought that up after the last home game. He they they remember they got embarrassed in that game against Houston, which I thought was interesting that he brought that up. Yeah, and you know we got to talk to BJ today, Wednesday, when we met with the players and and coach uh, coach Johnny Dawkins. BJ actually said more than anything that Houston's done this year, whatever they've accomplished with 21 and one and being ranked in the top 15 and everything they've, they've done on the court. He says their motivation, UCF's motivation, chief motivation for this game is how last season ended that 84 56 drubbing in Orlando. Uh, that being the second of two games in which Houston beat UCF in Orlando last year. Cause they also won at UCF as well during the regular season. BJ says that is that that's been talked about across the entire locker room all week. They they've all talked about it. This is serving, you know, as as probably they're like it's fueling their fire more than anything else, which is um, kind of amazing since all that stuff happened uh, almost ten months ago. Bulletin board yeah, material. Yeah. <laughs> Bulletin hey. board material. Look out! All right, so seven p.m. Thursday, we figure out. Uh, we, well, I mean, UCF could pull themselves. Um, well, even with Houston in the loss column, um, you know, Cincinnati's also up there with one loss uh, atop the American, but UCF has two cracks at them, too, this month as well. So uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that. We'll talk about uh, women's basketball uh, over on the other side right now, but uh, they just continue to roll on, winning these close games that you're like, oh, God, really? And But you know they don't uh, yeah okay fine they don't blow teams out but they keep the ball rolling they they know how to win they're 19 and 3 right now uh 8 and 1 in the american of course the one loss coming uh at uconn so um but this past week you know UCF managed uh, a victory by 2 points over Houston at home and a victory by 3 points over South Florida at home, and uh, we were all there for that uh, war on I-4 South Florida game, and uh, UCF manages to get the sweep over South Florida for the first time in the season series ever between these two. Um, of course, we know how bad you know, how bad of a year USF is having right now with all the injuries that they've suffered, um, but still, there uh, they the pace of the game that they played um, was really something. You know, UCF. Uh, they actually were keeping uh, UCF at bay there for a little while before the Knights managed to make a little bit of a rally um, in the fourth to try and uh, to try and extend their uh, to, to try and keep the keep the Bulls basically at bay. Um, their largest the Knights were actually up by double digits in this game in the third before South Florida started coming back. Um, KK Wright had 22 points, 15 points also for Kayla Thigpen, who is I think moved nicely into. Uh, a starting role uh, for the Knights after she was coming off the bench quite uh, for quite a bit. She, uh, uh, Coach Abus, flipped her and Sidney McDonald in certain lineups where now Sid is coming off the bench and uh, and Thig is uh, in the starting lineup and uh, and she's been shooting the ball well, six of eleven in this game uh, for fifteen points. And this was another hard fought, contested, a hard fought, hard contested game between these two squads who. Um, you know, throw all the cliches out there. They just don't like each other. But um, 30 to 10 advantage for UCF in points off turnovers, 30 to 20 in the paint for UCF. And uh, Eric Lopez, the Knights were able to get the job done and again win one of those god awful close games that, that I, you know, they keep, 
they keep doing this to us and they keep and they don't make it easy, but they keep winning these games like this. There's no such thing as god awful close games. It's fun <laughs> games. When you get them the wins, and look, that's a battle. That's a rivalry game, and you throw everything out the window. Records, injuries. I mean, it just is. It was an intense game. Uh, I thought it was fascinating. USF shot 48 percent in the first half from the floor, five of of eight from the three point line in the second half. USF only shot nine of 31. UCF kind of contained them, three of 11 from the three-point line and you know that's usf's game they like to play outside game try to put the up-tempo game but i thought kk Wright, who you know had been playing at a high level uh, in the last couple of games really came out aggressive and was dominant i I, and really it set the tone for the offense i thought ucf offensively uh played great i mean that was the thing that 47 percent from the floor quality shots and you know you mentioned it uh you know they they, their defense came on there they in at the end there took away the USF three-point line there, forcing a couple of turnovers, you know, and, you know, Coach Abe talked about it, and, and afterward, they talked, you know, about how to defend that three-point line against USF and all the, the, the creative offense that Jose Fernandez does. That's a huge win on national television, on ESPN2, to go to 19-3 and three and 8-1 and one in the conference. It's unbelievable. They're receiving votes in the top 25, and they're on track to uh, make the NCAA tournament for, for the program for the first time since 2011. So let's go ahead and listen to Coach Abe. We caught up with her after the game, and she had a couple of – this is her insight from after that victory over South Florida. Yeah, I mean, I think we did it. We do um, – my coaches do a great job of preparing our players in terms of what shots will be open because every every game is different. Every I mean, Houston is a completely different defensive team than South Florida, and, you know, if it comes to ECU or whatever, the team we're playing, everybody's different. And so we really do a lot of position breakdowns um, with the posts and the guards, and Kayla said it. I mean – we told them they're not going to be able to get to the basket. They do a good job of helping on all penetrations. So you're going to have to catch and shoot, catch and shoot. For the last two days, we've been working on where they're going to get their shots, and um, you know, and that they are going to have to knock down shots. I mean, we they were missing shots, and we kept saying, "You got to catch and shoot. You got to catch and shoot. You got to knock down those shots." And that really helps them because they really want to um, take the shots that they feel are good for the team, and um, so it just puts a lot of confidence in them. Yeah, you just see me take a deep breath. You know, because it's been, I mean, we just had Houston and they're a great team. We just had South Florida, they're a great team. And so I just took that deep breath because, I mean, every team is injured, healing, coming back. I mean, obviously, Rada just came back and she's a stud, you know, so she had 18 points for them. So every team has some sort of injury. We have, we had uh, two today, so didn't have Diamond today or um, Fifi. So. I mean, I think everybody has them, so these bye weeks are really big in rest. And, you know, after we won, I was like, and the, the best thing is we get two days off. And it's like the, ugh, we won the national championship because we got a couple of days off. But it's hard to take days off when you, you're playing back-to-back-to-back-to-back. To back to back to back. You have three games in a week. That's really hard to do and find time to balance it out. And, and, and in our league, there's no easy game. And so you can't – got to be really smart about when you take time out – I mean, time time off. Well, there's Coach Abe uh, debriefing us after that win over uh, South Florida. I think, you know, on balance, you look back at this and you think, uh, you, you know, you'll take a win over your rival anytime you can. But, you know, this is still a game that's uh, against a, a triple-digit RPI team. And I'm looking at the RPI right now uh, for UCF. And, uh, you know, the Knights have uh, played themselves into a position where they are at number 14, having uh, – having lost all three games that they played against the RPI top 25, but they won their one game against 26 to 50. 
and uh, and they've won uh, all their games against uh, 50, 51 to 100. So, you know, overall, I think they have to be pretty happy with their standing as of right now at night, you know, at 19 and three uh, and uh, 11 and two in their non-conference games. Um, but as we look at the schedule coming up, uh, you have uh, SMU, you've got Tulane on the road, and then you get another shot at UConn at home. So, uh, and that SMU game is on Saturday, by the way, and it'll be on ESPN three. So, I feel like it's going to be rather easy for them to look ahead to this UConn game, where you know SMU and Tulane can present their own problems to you. Um, I don't know, Lopez. What do you, what do you think about this right now? Are, are they? Do you do you still do if you're UCF what I think that they should do and just throw the UConn game out, pretend it's a non-conference game because Tulane's fourteen and seven. You know, ECU obviously is eleven and eleven, but two and seven. They're last in the league, but um, but you know that that or, or, uh, or and, well, excuse me, I mentioned I mentioned just now ECU. What I meant to say was. SMU is actually second to last in the league at two and six, eight and thirteen. But I don't know. What do you do about this? The way the schedule's kind of working out for them and down the stretch. Yeah, I don't think you can even think about UConn. I actually think this might. You could argue this might be the toughest stretch, and it continues. Maybe it's continuing the toughest stretch of the schedule. You mentioned SMU. You were there the last time they played. SMU outplayed them for three quarters. Yeah, and I think they were up by what nine going into the fourth quarter, and it took a dominant fourth quarter by UCF to come back and win that game. I think they outscored him, what was it, like 20, 20, 24 to four, 24 to 4, I think it was, to finish out. Yeah. Um, so that is not an easy game. I mean, I've been, you know, SMU has struggled, but they've got uh, they got size. Uh, Alicia Froling is a dominant rebounder. She's a former all-conference player. You're going into Dallas. So I think that's a tricky game. And then you've got to go to Tulane right after that. So, you know, and Tulane has been a pesky team, and they're kind of the, the maybe the last team that could challenge UCF perhaps for second place in that league. Certainly Cincinnati's there, but as you've documented, UCF doesn't have to go to Cincinnati uh, later in the year. So uh, I think this is the toughest stretch because you look at it after UConn, home at Wichita State, who's struggling, home to Temple, home to Tulane at Houston. That's a nice finish for UCF. If they can – Forget the UConn game. Put that to the side because we'll have plenty of time, I'm sure, to talk about that next week. SMU and Tulane is big. If you can get through these two road games, I think you're in great shape to get lock up that two spot in the American Conference and, more importantly, really secure that spot at large for the NCAA tournament. You also obviously avoid UConn in the American Conference Championship Tournament until the final in that scenario. So I think this is a critical two-game stretch here on the road for this team. To if they can get through these two games on the road unscathed and go into UConn uh, with just the one conference loss, I think they're in great shape the rest of the way to lock up the two spots. I think you're exactly right, and I, I'm glad you made that point about the conference tournament coming up because if you can get if you can secure that two seed, right now the Knights have a two game advantage over Cincinnati for that number two spot in the conference. UCF is eight and one, Cincy six and three, and then behind them is Houston at five and four, and then you kind of have a they're in that cluster of like five and four, four and four, four and five, with three other teams: Memphis, Tulane, and Temple. So um, this could be key for UCF to just kind of stiff arm these teams a little bit as they head down the stretch. And I think that's going to be really important for Coach Abe and the Knights, especially, like you said, Eric. If they're not going to win the conference title, I'm not saying there's no chance for them to do it, but it's going to be very difficult. You're, and again, the tournament is up in Connecticut. 
uh, at the Mohegan Sun Arena. At the very least, you can polish off the rest of your resume well enough um, to secure an at-large bid. And then, hey, if you get a crack at the Huskies uh, in, in the conference championship game, why the heck not, right? So, Well, look, and, and here's the thing. If you get to that final against UConn, you could scoff and say they don't have a chance, but it'll be on national television, which is more exposure for this program. And that's something that uh, I'm going to write about on Black and Gold Banner. Eventually, I'm still waiting on some information from ESPN on this. I mean, this team just came off playing on ESPN2 the last two weeks. Yeah. Uh, they're getting And they're getting more exposure. Uh, this television schedule this year from the American, not, UCF's benefited from it, and that's success. That tells you the respect and the success that they've had under Coach Abe. But it, they're getting more exposure than they ever have before. You you and I were talking about this uh, at the postgame, uh, Jeff, uh, after the game. I was talking to Megan Herbert, the great media relations at women's basketball. I mean, we can't, we couldn't come up, right, with, like, when was the last time they were on ESPN or ESPN2 this frequently? Like, we probably had to go back to the NCAA tournament game when there was regional coverage on the Deuce maybe in 2011. I mean, this yeah. is, you know, and that's huge from recruiting, exposure. It's significant for this program. And, you know, Coach Abe getting interviewed and who, who to me, is a rising star in this industry. I mean, I don't know if we've appreciated, Jeff, the job that she's done here. Think about what she's done since she's arrived here. They've been a postseason basketball program, two NIT, WNITs, and on track to make the NCAAs. Unbelievable against uh, some people's odds never thought would happen. Yeah, and if you look back at the history of UCF women's basketball, you know, I mean, there have been some spikes here and there, but not really anything that you can look at and say, wow, this team was really, really dominant at any particular stretch. You, you probably have to go back to the Division Two days in the uh, Sunshine State, in the old Sunshine State Conference under Joe Sanchez, but uh, Coach Abe has secured 20 consecutive, or, or not 20 consecutive, but a 20-win season for the Knights for the third time in her three seasons, uh, and for, uh, or with or with one more, right? Yeah, because they're at 19 wins. So one more win, and she gets that, and it would be the first time that UCF has won 20 games in three straight years in women's basketball since 1982-83 through 1984-85. So uh, that gives you an indication of how far this program uh, has come under her. And people are starting to come come out to the games. There was a yeah. great crowd in the Houston game. I know there was the bobblehead and nugget and all that, but I thought the South Florida game, I mean, I've been to a few of those South Florida. I thought that was a really good crowd and very yeah. uh, pro-UCF crowd. And, you know, USF brought in their loyal fans as well. But that was a very energetic crowd. And, you know, we'll see. Was, that, and I expect, obviously, their biggest crowd coming up with UConn, with a lot of UConn yeah. fans. But it, that's... You know, that, that there's some, you know, uh, I think people are catching on a little bit, and it's an exciting time for the women's basketball it, program. I'm not sure there's a better time ever, this program. And you mentioned, you, you documented very well the success they've had in patches and conference tournament runs. And with respect to all those runs and those players and coaches, they've done that. I don't know if you've seen uh, the, the, this, if there has been a better time for UCF women's basketball over a three year run that we have just witnessed. I can't really think of one, at least as of right now, in terms of consistency. By the way, you mentioned that crowd. That was a really good, really involved, really loud crowd, despite the fact that there were almost no students there. I thought I was actually disappointed with the students actually not coming out to see this team because, um, you know, so far they've been, they've, you know, they've given you your, your entertainment dollar, first of all, and, <laughs> and they're, and they're really well involved. I mean, you know, we know, Tolu Omakore, who is she's she's like the 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 empress of the student body. She's uh, she's everywhere at the same time, and 
they're a fun team to watch because of the fact that they play so hard and they're so tough. And uh, I would like to see a lot more um, student support for this team going forward. Who knows? Maybe we'll see that with uh, UConn coming because we know that UConn brings a crowd. The last couple of years, we've seen uh, a lot of UConn fans. In fact, it's basically it, sometimes it feels like Hartford. But uh, but from there, yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. All right. Stick around. When we come back, we will uh, talk a little bit about uh, UCF baseball coming up. Uh, you, both of you guys went to uh, Media Day, so we'll be able to wrap up a little bit about that as baseball season gets underway. Eric Lopez, I know you're, get, you're getting excited for softball coming up. And uh, we'll also talk about the National Signing Day that wasn't uh, here at UCF. Not because of anything UCF did that was bad, but because... Well, I mean, it's all anticlimactic now, which is great because I hate National Signing Day. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team at Orlando Homes Express proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a very proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's got a special deal going on right now for the 2018 UCF football season. Night fans, in honor of UCF's 25-game win streak, Sam is running a special for the whole month of December. If you use him as your realtor to buy or sell your home, you'll receive up to $2,500 at closing. So, if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit them on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash WeSellOrlando. Get in touch with Orlando Homes Express today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, Facebook and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on. Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the show. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. SB Nation's home for UCF sports. Uh, Black and Gold Banneret dot com UCF underscore banneret on Twitter Facebook.com slash black and gold banneret. Guess what, Brian Murphy? What, Jeff? It is baseball season. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting I've been waiting eight months to do that. I mean it's been uh but uh nice baseball is uh is just days away from getting underway. Uh their season opener is not this coming Friday next Friday against the Siena mm-hmm. Saints. They're season opening weekend, seemingly every year against Siena. 
at six o'clock on uh, Friday at, uh, at 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 the John, as we're calling it, John Juliano Park. Uh, and uh, you guys were at uh, Media Day, uh, uh, Eric and Brian, uh, to talk to a few of the players. And uh, uh, it, it, see, after last year, I guess we'll start with this. Like after last year and the disappointment that UCF faced, um, Brian, I'll start with you. Did you detect any sort of change in the approach of the players to this season after? What has happened? I, you know, I know media day is such a controlled environment; it's hard to say that. But, um, but what if what if anything sticks in those players' craws about last year? Uh, for certainly the veterans like your your Matthew Micos, it's you know just the way the season ended, going zero two pretty meekly uh, down there in Lakeland uh, in the in the conference tournament, uh, basically dashing any hopes they had for. Uh, an NCAA tournament bid in which they were they were one of the last four teams out of out of the tournament. So they win a couple of games there. It's probably a different outlook coming into this season. Um, but they go down, um, you know, like I said, pretty meekly there, and then so they come back with sort of that serving that serving as motivation. Um, and then I, I guess you know I don't know how much you want to buy into this, but after last season, you know, Coach Lovely talked pretty openly and. Pretty, uh, uh, I'd say can- candidly, candidly, yeah, candidly yeah. With, with some edge about the fact that there was uh, not a whole lot of leadership on last year's team. And actually, he at one moment last year, I remember this last year at the end of the season, he stopped himself from saying zero leadership and instead decided to go with very little leadership. So he saved face a little bit there. Uh, there were just some guys who were more about we, we got the message the anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We got, we, you know, there are a lot of guys who wanted to care about their draft stock more than the team's success, and um, I, I, I think uh, that's something that Love Lady, you know, he was asked about it during media day about, you know, this team's attitude, their chemistry, and a lot of that is really hard to judge before a single pitch has been thrown. But for what it's worth, uh, Greg Love Lady did say that that's certainly the the locker room attitude, the team cohesiveness, the team first mindset is stronger this year than it was last year. I, we will see if that continues once this team runs into uh, tribu- tribulations during the season. Uh, but for now, everything is bright and shiny and, and everything is <laughs> roses. Let's uh, let's hear from two of those seniors from uh, last year's team. Matthew Mike, we're going to start with Matthew Mike and then we're going to go to uh, Jordan Spicer. Uh, first, let's uh, let's start with the guy you mentioned, uh, Brian, Murf- uh, Brian Murphy, Brian uh, Murphy, Matthew Micah. All right, we're here with Matthew Micah, and uh, here we go. The 2019 season's here. How you feeling? Wow, I feel old. That's what I I feel very old. Uh, I'm excited though. I'm excited for the season to start. Does it feel like it's kind of blown by your time here? Absolutely. I feel like you know my first uh, my first series was literally yesterday. Um, but you know that's what makes this so special to me. This last year. Um, and I definitely want want to go out with a bang, and I want I want to have a really good season all together, especially with the team. What's the message you have told the players here? You've been around here as far as this upcoming season's concerned. Uh, have fun, have fun, and let everything else take care of itself. What uh, what got you to come to UCF? Um, 
you know, I did, I did a lot of studying before I committed here. And, you know, the coaches were a big thing at the time. Um, you know, it was. I, th I thought UCF. First of all, the campus is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And um, you know, I thought this was the perfect fit for me, and I thought this would this this school would be the best. Um, the, the best. Uh, best place for you. Best place for me and the best opportunity is to start as a freshman. Yeah. What uh, do you have a favorite moment or game so far from your, your time here that jumps out? Like, obviously, you're hoping to accomplish more this year, but just so far, from is there a game or moment that you're like, wow, that was pretty cool to be a part of that? First of all, my first, uh, my first series, my first game actually, my first collegiate game. You know, I'm up there, super nervous, get a hit, my first at bat, first college hit out of the way, weight off my my shoulders and, I, and then I come into a situation where the game's on the line I hit a walk off everybody mobs me never had that before you know that stands out and it's just amazing to feel uh, your teammates just jumping on top of you and then and then uh, the last one was dogpiling when we won the conference championship I'll never forget that 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 moment was unbelievable um, I lost my hat in the dog pile but um, At least just a hat, though, right? Yeah, it's okay. just a hat. I got a small head, so it wouldn't have fit anybody. <laughs> so whoever found it, probably just having it. Uh, is it. And is that something you bring up to even the newcomers about that taste of winning the conference championship, making the NCAA tournament? I know after missing last year, was disappointing and frustrating. Is that like the message? Hey, I want. Let's get that feeling again. Oh, absolutely. Like, um, definitely want another another shot at the title. Uh, you know, that feeling is indescribable, and um, you know. These guys don't know, but you know, a lot of us returners try to, um, you know, kind of put it in their minds to see how how it feels and what it's supposed to look like to dogpile and win a championship. And uh, hopefully, we can go out there and do it this year. What got you into playing baseball? What got you interested in playing baseball? Jeez, my dad, man. My dad was a he was a he was an athlete in high school. Didn't go on to play, you know, anything crazy, but. He was an athlete, played soccer, baseball, all kinds of other sports, and um, took me to the field one day, tried to teach me to, you know, have a catch with me, and, you know, I just kind of fell in love. They put me, my parents put me into, like, Little League when I was, like, seven years old, and, you know, just kind of went from there. The, the feeling of, I, don't, I, I can't even describe it. It was just, I just knew it was right for me, even when I was a little kid, and I never wanted to stop playing. I knew I, knew I wanted to play this game for a long time, when, you know, after school, I wanted to have a catch instead of doing my homework. But <laughs> eventually I got to the homework yeah. part. But, you know, when I wanted, most, most kids would, like, come home and take a nap or something. I wanted to go play baseball. I wanted to have a catch. I wanted to hit. I wanted to do all those things. And I knew at that, at that point that I wanted to play this game for a long time. Did you have a player you looked up to? I know you know your dad played, but as far as, uh, as you watch Major League Baseball, did you have, or any sport for that matter, did you have a favorite athlete you looked up to? Uh, Derek Jeter, 100%. That man has so much class, took care of things on and off the field, was very low-key about things, lived his life like normal, nobody ever said anything bad. One of the most respected players in the game, still to this day, and you know, I think a lot of people look up to him, and I know I looked up to him as a role model and hope to be like him one day. Tell us about the 2019 team here. What are some names that fans are going to get to know and, and even like to kind of keep an eye on this year that is going to help you guys accomplish your goals? Um, Bernardo, Wingo, um, George coming back finally. Um, you know, a lot, a lot 
lot of new guys, a lot of new guys, not a lot of new faces. Excited to see what the pitchers do. Having Trevor here, um, very dominant pitcher, and you know I'm excited to see you know everybody's tribute this season. What uh, what's your goal post baseball? I know you want to play pro ball after this. What's uh, what? But what other goal do you have after baseball? Whatever that is. Um, you know whether this is my last year or not. Um, you know, I'll go find a job somewhere. I'll figure it out. I'm just kind of going with the flow, enjoying life for a little bit. Um, I feel like there's there's no rush. You know, I'm just living life to the fullest um, and just taking everything in this this season. And then once it ends, you know, I'll be on my way and you know I'll go from there. Well, you still got one uh, one more year to go. You know the taste, what it's like to win a championship and to make the regionals. What's going to be the goals for this team to accomplish those goals and beyond? To win one game at a time. That's that's what it's going to take, and if we do that, we'll be okay. All right, Jordan Spicer, here we go. Ready for another season. How are you feeling here as with the season around the corner? I'm feeling really good, really excited, and just ready to get going. Tell us what you've been working on between from last year that you learned going into this year. Um, just learning on being a lot more consistent with myself and believing in having a lot more confidence in myself. Biggest thing you learned last season? Um, it's just a lot different than from, from coming from junior college to Division One. It was very big, very big transfer. So just the type, the speed of the game, and all that stuff is getting used to. Well, tell us a little bit about this staff around you this year here. What, what stood out to you? Uh, I think I think this staff has a lot of potential. I think we have a lot of good pitchers on the staff. So I think a lot of very competitive guys. So I think it's going to be a really good staff. What got you uh, to go come to UCF? I uh, just great area. Orlando's a beautiful city to be in all the time. Just coaches when the coaches came here, they sold me and told me everything I wanted to hear, and I just I could just vision myself being here and improving, getting better every day. So that just led to the ultimate decision coming back. Do you have a favorite baseball player you kind of looked up to? You kind of modeled yourself under? Uh, growing up, Derek Jeter, but as I got older, obviously and changed into a pitcher, uh, definitely Clayton Kershaw. What is it about Kershaw you like? Oh man, it's not the like about him. The dude's just a pitcher. He just goes out there every day, does his business, and win, lose, struggle, deal. Don't, you never know what's going on with him. He just goes out there and goes about his business, and he wants the ball in the biggest moments and stuff like that. And I think I try to have a, I try to copy a lot of attitude like that he has. I want, I want to do a lot of that stuff too. Post baseball. Once you're done with UCF, you probably play pro ball. What, what's your kind of your goals after baseball? Uh, hopefully, baseball can keep going for me, but uh, my post-baseball career, I would like to go to uh, be a firefighter. Firefighter? What yeah. What's your interest you in fire, being a firefighter? Uh, just, I know a lot of people used to be firefighters and stuff like that, but most importantly, it's like the team aspect and still being on a team, still having brothers to count on who are counting on you and stuff like that. So that's, like, that's a big deal for me, and I think it would be pretty cool. Going, uh, last question, going into this year, what's going to be the keys for you to be successful and for the team to be successful this year and accomplish any internal goals you have? Me personally, I feel like my biggest keys are just staying consistent and just just being myself, not trying to be too much, not trying to overpower stuff or take too much control, just relax, be myself, and do what I can do. And for the team, same thing. I feel as long as we keep believing in one another, keep pulling for one another, and having faith and confidence in each other, I think we're going to be really good this year. All right, we just finished up there with uh, Jordan Spicer at UCF Baseball Media Day. Preceding him was uh, Matthew Micah, two of the seniors on this uh, team. That You know, 
I, I think that this is kind of un, an underrated factor is how many seniors did did they lose off of Greg Lovelady's first season? I mean, that was – I remember at senior day when you, uh, when they clinched the uh, conference against South Florida, it looked like there were 20 guys out there on the field that they were waving goodbye to at the end of that game. And But that has you – know, people forget that that has a real in, uh, impact on – uh, the chemistry of a team the following year, when you and really any year, you know that was a senior laden team. Those guys were men. Not saying the other guys mm-hmm. weren't, but uh, but uh, but then you go to the following year and you don't have that many seniors that are on that roster. And if there's not any sort of strength in numbers to a certain degree, all of a sudden there comes to a point where you hit that adversity, like you were talking about, Brian. And guys just kind of look at each other, like, "Are you going to say something?" Or, or, or are you going to say something? Is someone going to say something? What are we going to do here? Um, and some teams, you know, they, 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 they could fold in a situation like that. And I think um, that was what happened. I think uh, last year at certain points um, with UCF. How about in terms of this year? Do you see that uh, that sort of reinvigoration of the seniors that they have on this team? Because I'm seeing a lot of those guys on the roster right now that are going to play this one last year for UCF now. Yeah, I mean, I mean again, it's it, Jeff. These questions are really difficult to gauge without a single pitch being thrown. Uh, <laughs> yes, it, it, it seems very great. It seems great now. I, I do wonder, though. And, and, you know, it all starts offensive. Well, really, it starts with Matthew Micah as far as leadership. I mean, he really is the leader on this team because he's a four-year starter. He's going to be entering his fourth year as a starter. So if you're going to talk about leadership, it's going to have to start with him. Uh, but I, I will say it's, it's you know, yeah, you know, the, you can talk about playing, you know, playing for your senior year and wanting to go out with a bang. And certainly guys like Anthony George have said that, a uh, catcher returning from injury. Um, but, like, you know, let's talk a little bit about, I think, one of the major issues that maybe we're, we're, we're kind of glossing over. Um, this team's pitching staff, Took a large, took a big hit, in numerous oh, areas. Yeah. After last year, they lost a ton of bullpen pieces. With your guys like Bryce Tucker gone, Bad Ward's gone. You have a starter in JJ Montgomery who's gone. Then you have Joe Sheridan who underwent labor surgery back in May. They haven't ruled him out for this season, but I would say that if he does come back, it'd be very late in the year. And then Chris Williams, really their most consistent starter all of last season, he will be suspended for the first nine games of this year which includes their, their home series against a top 25 ranked Auburn program. Um, it, long story short, he played club baseball as a freshman, but uh, after he tried to walk on to the UCF team as a freshman, he didn't make it, so he played club baseball. And unknowingly, he didn't know that playing club baseball counted against his eligibility. Uh, and no one... Wait no a minute, UCF, what? Yes, yes. And so, and and again, this was under Coach Rooney. This was before Greg Lovelady got here. This was back in I think 2015. Um, and so, and then, and no one apparently knew that he played club baseball till last year because he walked on after being after his freshman year and, and, and got onto the team. And now it was really scheduled to be the ace of the staff, uh, but they found out that he played club baseball. That does count against your eligibility. There was a thought at some point that he actually might lose his entire year of his senior eligibility. Uh, that uh, was negotiated down to nine games, which is the, actually the, the amount of games that Chris played in club ball. So he will miss the first nine games. It's not as bad as it could have been. Uh, it's not great also because without, without him, at least for the first couple weekends, it leaves you with a pitching staff, probably headed up, 
by Trevor Holloway, whom I think we'll get to here in a second. Uh, he's a guy from Chipola uh, and a guy from uh, who played one year at High Point. High Point. Uh, he's been coached by two UCF alums. At High Point, he's coached by Craig Cozart, former pitching coach under Jake Bergman. And then at Chipola, he was coached uh, by a man whose name escapes me as I've lost the tab here on my internet. Thank you so Jeff much, Johnson. Eric. Picking me up. Uh, who played – and Jeff Johnson, play, Jeff Johnson played uh, – well, he pitched out of the bullpen for two years for UCF back in the 80s. So now he's here actually at UCF. He, I think, will actually be their Friday starter once the season starts on fr- uh, next Friday against Siena. And then you have Spicer behind him, who's coming off a really rocky first year uh, with UCF. And then probably it sounds like Grant Schurman, a transfer, a grad transfer senior from Furman, would probably be their Sunday starter to begin the season. Uh, this, along with all those new pieces in the bullpen, uh, it really that is the most intriguing part of this team is what this what this team can do on the mound. And we haven't even mentioned, and nor should we, because it's another discussion. We haven't even mentioned what this team has to do offensively to replace Rylan Thomas, uh, who had two of the best seasons back to back. Uh, in recent memory for this program. Let's, uh, as predicted, well done, Mr. Murphy. Yeah, uh, yeah let's hear from... Attention. Foreshadowed my interview <laughs> with Mr. Holloway. That's right. Here, here is Trevor Holloway, the uh, junior transfer over from uh, Chipola, uh, Chipola College, uh, talking about uh, joining UCF uh, this season. All right, we're here with uh, Trevor Holloway. Uh, you know, welcome. Uh, how are you feeling here with the season just around the corner? Uh, we're all itching to get going. Um, the fall's long and kind of monotonous, but it's springtime, and well, we're ready to go. We're ready to play some games. Tell us about what got you uh, to come to UCF. Uh, the the way the coaches approach the program and the culture that they create um, really drew me in. Um, the statistics and how they use those to really develop players. I, I knew I needed to develop, um, so that's why I really picked to come here. Uh, tell us a little bit about prior to your arrival here. You played at one of the best uh, baseball programs, Chipola there. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you ended up in Chipola. Um, high point just didn't work out for me, so I knew I wanted to go try to, to win games, so pick Chipola and uh, couldn't, be, couldn't be happier with the decision, obviously, how it, how it turned out, but enjoyed every bit of it. For those that haven't seen you play, uh, describe yourself, uh, uh, what kind of player you are and, and, and all that. Um, I'm, a, I'm a guy that I like strikeouts. Um, I, don't, I don't like uh, guys putting the ball in play, so uh, I'm going to come right at you. I'm going to attack you, and uh, I'm going to use what I've got to, to get you out. What has it been like to, with Coach Lovelade and this staff? You mentioned worked into the fall here. It's a deep staff, so all roles could be, you know, one day they could ask you to start. They might ask you to relieve. Who knows? But I'm sure you're excited to be contributing in whatever way. Yeah, and it's, that's what it's about. It's about contributing. So um, however big, small role that is, it's about contributing and making sure we can win games. Do you have a favorite baseball player growing up or you kind of looked up to? Uh, I watched uh, a little bit of Nolan Ryan. He's an old, older guy. Nolan Ryan? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, but recently I've been watching a lot of Trevor Bauer and what he's been doing uh, with the statistics and driveline and kind of things like that. What got you interested in playing baseball? Man, I uh, I really just enjoyed thinking through it. Like, it's, it's a slow enough pace you're, you're playing chess. Um, and, and that's been the fun part is, is using the athleticism but also trying to outwit the other guy. Uh, what are you uh, planning on doing post-baseball? I know 
you want to you have aspirations beyond UCF and playing pro ball, but beyond that, what what's kind of your other goals in uh, beyond baseball? Um, I'm studying to be a, a high school teacher, so that's that's my major. Um, I also have my pilot's license, so hopefully down the road we can uh, be an aviation be an aviation uh, do commercial pilot. That's commercial pilot. Commercial. Wow. How did, yeah. What got you interested in that? Uh, I've always just been like interested. In it. it's, uh, you know, a plane flies over and you look up in the sky and see what's going on. Um, and I've been flying since I was 13 and got my license when I was 17 and just kind of I've stuck with it ever since. That's pretty impressive. That's yeah. a pretty good uh, different lifestyles there. Yeah. Teacher and uh, oh, 100 percent. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that, that's pretty fun. A uh, couple last things. Who's the jokester on the team so far, from what you can tell? Oh man. Um, Spice has some pretty good, some pretty good jokes. Um, but we honestly, it, it's it's a good atmosphere. We all we all are able to joke with each other, and you know, even the guys up here, you know, we we're, it's good. It's relaxed. It's laid back, and we have some, we have fun. Last thing, what's going to be the key to for you personally, and then the team as far as their goals and, and the keys to being successful? Um, the goal for me is to win a World Series. So that's that's first and foremost, and then. Uh, just understanding that there's steps in between to get there. So you have to win your first game. So you have to beat Santa on Friday night, and you go from there. So just continue to progress. Well, good luck this year. All right, thank you. All right, that was uh, Trevor Holloway, the junior transfer over from Chipola, who also played, like you guys mentioned earlier, at High Point, uh, where he's got some uh, UCF... uh, He's certainly primed from UCF with uh, having played for two former UCF uh, staff members uh, at his two previous... Stops. All right, so let's talk about that offense that you were mentioning, um, Brian Murphy. Rylan Thomas is gone. He's not the only production that's gone, um, obviously, but he is the he is the biggest chunk of production that's gone uh, from last year's team. There were times I felt like the the offense really did um, carry the Knights at at points, even when things were struggling. It, they kept uh, they. The bats are what kept UCF in a lot of games that uh, all the way through to the end. But man, what uh, Ryland Thomas, like you mentioned last year, fifty six games, three forty three average, thirteen homers to lead the team, fifty five runs batted in, which was one shy of the team leaders. Three forty three led the team by thirty three points. He slugged five eighty seven. He was a hundred and two points higher in that department uh, than the next closest night. Uh, he even uh, he even drew a team high thirty six walks. He was nearly a four fifty on base percent. I mean that's that's mind blowing. Some of these numbers when you mm-hmm. take a look at it, and now you got to figure out. It, this almost feels like uh, is Greg Lovelady playing playing the part of uh, 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 of Billy Bean? You know, sitting in the meeting and figuring out. Okay, are we going to have to piece together some uh, offensive production in order to make up for? the loss of Ryland Thomas this year. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see if this team plays even more small ball, which I think they already played a pretty good amount of with Lovelady before this before you know, even with Ryland Thomas. They played a pretty good amount of of sacrificing guys over and and, and you know wanting to win on the base base paths. Um, and they because they just don't have that natural slugger right now. Tyler Osick and Dallas Beaver are probably your two top power bats that we know of right now. Uh, there are guys like Griffin Bernardo or Jordan Rathbone, who could who could step in and, and provide pop, but uh, you know, you, you know, you're not going to replace Ryland one for one. It's going to have to be a collective effort, I guess. Fortunately, UCF is returning for the top five offensive. If you take Ryland out, really, if you just take Ryland out, 
they are returning their next four best offensive players. Yeah. And, you know, in Matthew Micah, Dallas Beaver, uh, Tyler Osick, and Ray Alejo. Uh, Alejo and Micah will be at the top of the lineup. They'll try to be getting on base and, and trying to create chaos. Uh, as Love Lady calls him, you know, he is, they are his gnats on the <laughs> base pass. And then they'll try to depend on Beaver and Osick. Uh, the comeback of Anthony George, a catcher who's had a really strong fall. Uh, and then guys like Bernardo. Uh, and, and, you know, and and Dalton Wingo, a freshman last year who had a lot of swing and miss, but certainly has power potential. Um, you know, there's got to be a lot of guys, you know, past that number five spot in the order, who we really haven't seen a whole lot of, who are going to be asked to do a lot on an everyday basis now. And um, you know, I, I I'm I'm interested to see what this offense can do. Um, but man, it, it, again, when you lose just one player of Ryland's uh, caliber. Um, it, it, it's really hard to even match that. Do do you see anybody, or did either of you guys, when you talk to these guys, did, did they mention any other kinds of any other names that you're like, you know, something? Here's this. There, we, there's this one guy that we have that could be a real surprise this year, either with the bat or on the mound. That you know, maybe one or two guys that we think that we're not seeing their names right now, but they could be uh, a real surprise for UCF heading forward. Eric, I, I know Eric hasn't spoken. I'm going to give him a chance if he wants to chime in. <laughs> no, look, I know you've been waiting months for this, so okay. that's why I was going to let right. you roll. Oh, go. Look at that. That's, right. That is a teammate right there. Like I, it, I do appreciate it's, it. It's your ball to run here on, on this one, Murphy, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Um, I think out of the bullpen, uh, a guy, you know, that, because they're going to have to replace so many arms, and they've got Garrett Westberg pretty much locked in, pretty much locked in as their closer. Uh, in the ninth inning, but I think two guys that I'm, I'm, uh, well, one guy we heard a lot about at, at media day was David Litchfield, who uh, is coming off an, an arm injury. Uh, I don't think he played at all last season, but they said he's looked outstanding in fall. Could be a high leverage eighth inning guy, um, and then a, a second guy named Nolan Lepkowski, another bullpen arm, uh, big beard. Uh, and he, they say he throws like mid to high nineties fastball. Uh, you know, and how does a guy like that come to UCF and not get drafted out of high school? Well, somehow he didn't have that type of power when he came out of high school, and now just now here at UCF, he it's not a transfer. He just comes straight to UCF. He's throwing in the mid nineties. Um, you know, those two bullpen arms could really pick up the slack uh, for what they've lost last year. I think that's what's most interesting to me because again, when this team was good last year, it's. And I think it's going to be the same thing this year. When it when they're good, they're relying on their pitching. They're relying on uh, really their bullpen. You know, Love Lady wants to make this a short game and get to that bullpen and sort of play it. You know, inning to inning with with his arms. And uh, you know, losing the guys that they lost last year, uh, they're going to need some. They have some big shoes to fill. Um, but there's a couple of guys there. You know, even before Westberg, that they're pretty high on. All right, let's yeah, wrap I, it. I, oh, I, go I, ahead, Eli. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I will. Uh, since I was there, I will chime in on this. I do think I do buy into the chemistry being a little better. Uh, you know, you heard you played the Matthew Micah uh, interview there. Uh, you know, and I think guys like that will certainly set the tone. It's funny with this program, right? Like two years ago when we were doing this, this was a team that was picked to be at the bottom of the league. It was Greg Lovelady's first year. Oh boy, we don't know what to expect. What does he have to work with? And they found a way to win the regular season title. And you know, last year I know a lot of people were disappointed. Uh, but this team was one of the last few teams out 
mm-hmm. you could have made it. I wrote about it on Black and Gold Banner. Right? You could have made an argument from a resume standpoint. They should have been in the NCAA tournament compared to other teams' resumes that did get in. Uh, but to UCF, to Coach Lovelady's credit, they, they didn't make any excuses. They said, no, it was on our end. And I do believe uh, and, 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 and the message, I think the players that are coming back are relaying to the new guys that I've talked to, don't take games for granted. Because I remember, Murph, last year we would be doing these shows and there was these games that would slip away, like the Cincinnati game on a Sunday at home that slipped yep. away. And you're like, these games could come back to haunt you, and it did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, wasn't there a, a game, I, I want to say, was it Cincinnati? They were up like 8-2 to two in like the 7th and lost that game somehow, something, something like that. I think there was a game against ECU that was the same way. And again, you, you win one or two of those games, you're probably in the tournament. Um, I'll be frank and say I I have lots of questions about whether this team is as talented as that team last year. Uh, there's, but, but, there's, Murph, but Murph, you're you're Mr. Baseball. You sometimes yes, they may not be as talented, but there could be in baseball in particular. There's other apps you can kind of overcome that right with certain things. If certain guys maybe develop, that's the uniqueness of college baseball with all that with new faces. You never know who's steps up on a given year a guy that maybe struggled last year maybe steps up this year that we didn't expect right that's the beauty of baseball is it's not like football or basketball where there's well-documented things in college baseball uh a guy that maybe was struggling last year could step up and a guy that was superstar last year could struggle i mean that's the beauty of the game yeah i mean i i really hate putting too much weight on intangible things uh you know like like (laughs) chemistry like you're so rational murph i can't stand it It's great and all, but like, and again, we have no idea what chemistry means to any team before it starts play. To like, to, to, like to, 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 to go and like buy the word as if it's gospel that this team is really getting along well. And I'm sure if it is, that's great. But they haven't played. Like, at least let, let me see how they re, let, let me see how they rebound after you know losing two out of three at UConn. You know, or, or you know, losing a bad midweek game to Wagner, something like, give me something like. And now it doesn't mean anything. They're not re- they're not rebounding from anything. Um, so everything is great. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. And I'm really looking forward to them actually starting to play next week. <laughs> the Lego Movie reference, wow. Brian Murphy. I think we got to end it. I think we got to end the baseball what segment. Fired that. up. Baseball That's guy. great. Well, I I, I will say up. that He's that ready. the. The concern that I had um, from last year, you know, we saw it in conf- or after conference play began. UCF won only two third games of the uh, of the of any series. Oh the god! Entire yeah, they, so they, they, they split. They oh, botched. God. They botched Sundays like it was going out <laughs> of style. In fairness, I'll be the optimist in this group for a change, which is really bizarre. Uh, I don't know what's <laughs> happened to this broadcast, but whatever. Me and Murphy have really changed personalities. I will point out. <laughs> College, the, the American Conference, top five conference in the sport every year. It's one of the best leagues in college baseball. I would say it's the flagship sport in the conference. So let's let's give some credit where credit is due. It's not easy to just sweep people in, in baseball in the league. Yeah, uh, fair point. I, I, I will no, throw that it, out. By the way, Murph, it, I, I do have a solution for the offense. I don't know if you, what you think of this idea, Murph. You know, there's yes, two yes. Uh, dynamic hitters in baseball that are at the time of this recording not signed in Major League Baseball. Bryce Harper mm, and Manny Machado. Yes. Can we look at eligibility and maybe get them to transfer, get a semester in there in the lineup? No. Yeah, I wonder if Bryce, you know, wore his eligibility at Southern Nevada. I really wonder if he has a year left. Will he play? I know Bryce was looking for 250 or maybe 350 over 10 years. Will he play for nothing? 
<laughs> he might as well. He's not playing for nothing right now. He's not playing. Yeah, Bold prediction. Will, will, will Harper and Machado be signed by first pitch against Siena when uh, on Friday Ooh. night? On the no. No. All right. No. Oh. No. Yeah. I, I, I would bet. I would bet the house. No. And I'd bet they probably won't sign until probably the week after at the earliest. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if they don't sign until March. Okay. Wow. Uh, I love it. Oh, we got that on record, right, Jeff? All right, it's 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 on. It's recorded. Let me put it it like this. Let me put it like this. There is zero point zero percent chance (laughs) that Machado and Harper will sign before next Friday. That's oh man. Oh boy. Just so I can. It's a. It's called a callback. Yep. There you go. That one's for you, James. Um. All right. So you have baseball two weeks away. well, actually, no. A little bit more than one week uh, away Jeez, from the Jay, start. On, I know, man. Listen, I am I am sleep deprived, man. I, I it is <laughs> time and space are are, are in flux. Um, speaking of time and space being in flux, UCF softball gets underway Thursday across from the Houston basketball game, which I don't know who scheduled that, but uh, but UCF softball will play its first ever game for a coach not named Renee Lures Gillespie on Thursday, February 7th at 6 p.m. when they play Ole Miss. It is the head coaching date, the UCF head coaching uh, debut of Coach Bear, Cindy Ball Malone, uh, and the beginning of a uh, pretty busy tournament for UCF softball, Eric Lopez, with Ole Miss, Minnesota, uh, uh, Ohio State, George Mason, and UNF uh taking on the Knights. We're going to find out real quick what we have from uh, this coaching staff with Coach Bear and from the UCF softball team. Obviously, if you want to listen to our preview interview with Coach Bear, we have that on a previous episode, which I'll put in the show notes. But um, here you go, man. It's uh, it's showtime for this uh, well, for, for this uh, for this team here. Murph wants to see how teams uh, handle extra, you know, games and stuff. He'll get right away answers at softball because you mentioned it. Ole Miss. Minnesota, Ohio State in this field. That's three solid NCAA tournament teams. Uh, I know Murph is excited about this. That on FastPitchNews.com in my projection, my field of 64 preseason bracketology, I have those three teams solidly in. Uh, Murph, that bookmark. Softball, softball <laughs> woes, man. Bringing it, bringing it. Right. Well, speaking of softball woes, one of the bigger national stories is actually going to be taking place at this tournament because as one of the reasons why I was letting Murph go on about. UCF baseball other than the fact that he's been that's been building for months and months and months <laughs> uh, I've been working texting people because there's a developing story involving Ole Miss Mike Smith who is a, one of the top coaches in college softball led Ole Miss to the super regionals a couple years ago is suspended this weekend he is suspended by what the school has said uh, not not meeting the university's expectations for operating the program that's the quote. That is the, the most Miss. complex suspension reason, and we've we've seen a lot in our times, haven't we? Not meeting the university's expectations for operating the program. Yeah, and this is and this that. is Ole Miss we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a good point. Very, very true. Good point, Jeff. Props. Um, so he's not here. He's not in Orlando, and as a result. Former UCF assistant and associate coach at Ole Miss, Ruben Felix, will be the head coach for the Rebels. 
this week. Ruben Felix, who was a head huh. assistant under Rene Lourdes Gillespie here at UCF from 2011 to 2014, helped them win their first regular season American Conference title in 2014, two NCAA tournament appearances before he moved on to Ole Miss, was a name that was rumored for this UCF job in the offseason. Many speculated his interest, perhaps, going to a possibility of coming to UCF and things. And Ruben Felix will be coaching Ole Miss against UCF to open the season. As Brian Murphy's like, uh, I'll quote Brian Murphy, sports! <laughs> sports! Sports. Sports does things to people. Line. So this is a busy, yeah, busy weekend for UCF where they play uh, one, two, four consecutive days. They play two games on Saturday against George Mason and Ohio State. But, uh, Primetime softball is back at the Friends of Jacqueline tournament at the UCF softball complex for UCF to actually get underway uh, with their softball season. So uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that as well. We'll have one eye on that tomorrow night. We'll have one eye on the basketball game as uh, as that rolls uh, as that rolls on by. A busy Thursday night for UCF sports. Um, in addition to that, a couple other things that uh, I wanted to uh, clean up here. Uh, as we finish out here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, men's tennis, uh, UCF. By the way, uh, we have a couple. Uh, we have a couple of awards to pass out uh, for UCF. Uh, in particular, uh, Gabriel DeCamps was the uh, American Athletic Conference uh, Player of the Week last week, and he is ranked number seventeen in the Oracle ITA singles. Uh, rankings. That's that's pretty impressive when you think about you know. And you you like to talk about it all the time, Eric Lopez. How far uh, college tennis has come in the last few years, um, and also Alan Rubio um, has uh, moved has moved into the uh, rankings as well. Uh, he's in at number one twenty two uh, overall in the country. But man, UCF with the number seventeen player individual player in the country um got to be pretty impressed with that obviously those rankings move on and on. we you know we know how much coaches uh you know love rankings but uh you know men's tennis right now you know they're off to a pretty like we said they're off to a pretty difficult start they did lose to florida six to one on thursday january 31st so they're off to an zero and four start um but they have uh indiana and michigan coming up uh on the road so like a mini big 10 road trip coming up uh, over the weekend, so we'll have to keep a very close eye on them as they go through. I mean, the way that schedule kind of works out, they can, it feels like they can make up a few of those wins later on in the season, Elo, and then all of a sudden they're right back in the rankings where they expect to be. So uh, we'll have to see about that. Women's tennis is 4-2 and two on the year. Uh, they defeated uh, Baylor on Sunday, 6-1, to one, at the USTA uh, Tennis Center. They get ready to head to the National Indoors, the ITA National Indoors this weekend on the 8th uh, through the 11th of February, and then they head to Alabama next Friday uh, at Tuscaloosa for uh, a match with the Crimson Tide. And then they hit Ole Miss on the way back that weekend, too. So uh, Brian Canico's team is off and running uh, as well. Uh, let's see. One other thing that we wanted to pass along to you. Okay, uh, UCF uh, women's golf. You know, I haven't mentioned women's golf at all this year. Uh, actually, and uh, I am uh, ashamed to admit that. But at the UCF Challenge, uh, which was held at Eagle Creek Golf Club here in Orlando, the Knights finished 11th uh, in that tournament, in their home tournament that they uh, that they host uh, at Eagle Creek. 
Elizabeth Moon and uh, Maria Balcazar were the two top performers for the night. Moon finished six under par. Uh, she was one of nine people in the ninety-eight uh, in the field of ninety-eight who were under par in all uh, three rounds uh, as well. So, uh, so uh, UCF women's golf is off to uh, their start, and then uh, the men's golf uh, team, their schedule. Uh, looks like this as uh, as they get ready to, to progress through into their uh, spring schedule. They actually haven't started their spring uh, tournament just yet, but they do begin the season, the spring season at least, at the Gator Invitational coming up not this weekend, but next weekend uh, in Gainesville, Saturday and Sunday, February 16th uh, and 17th. Last time, by the way, they played was early November out in Pebble Beach. Man, you want to talk about like one extreme to another. You play your final tournament of the fall in Pebble Beach, and then you come back and play your first tournament of the spring in Gainesville? Come on, man. <laughs> That's right. No, what are you laughing about? Of course Gainesville's not as nice as Pebble Beach. No golf course is as nice <laughs> as Pebble Beach. <laughs> oh, we have to we have to uphold those rivalries, Barbara. Uh, rivalries. It's an, golf is an individual sport. Don't tell me about rivalries. <laughs> Don't tell me about rivalries. The, their season, by the way, men's golf really gets going in March. They have let's see, one, two, three tournaments in March on uh, three on in four out of four weekends. So that's going to be uh, a pretty. They're going to start getting busy here in uh, a little bit. All right. Uh, let's finish it up and uh, go around the horn here. Uh, Lopez, what are you working on this week? Well, I uh, we stalking uh, Woj on Twitter to see what <laughs> NBA trades are being done, which is phenomenal. Wait a minute, you have your own Woj job that you have to handle here with softball season. Yeah, I got to follow that old myth story for fast pitch news, which is going to be crazy this week in softball. Let's see what comes out of that with that suspension of Mike Smith. Now, before we go further. Uh, Merv, we have to make a bold prediction. We had our guest on early. We talked about Kelvin Sampson. This is the thing that you and I are looking forward to the most this week. Really, right. beyond forget yes. the game. It's the game is irrelevant. Really, it's we tie game. Give me the spread here. What's the? Uh, how it's the long game within the game. Game, game within the game. Yeah. Give me the prediction. Well, again, again, I want action on whatever you'll give me. I will take money on this too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, when we were at the conference tournament in the Amway, I feel like. Like I, don't, I forget what game it was, but I feel like uh, Kelvin lost his his jacket and tie within the first like five minutes. It was amazing. Um, I would say both are gone. I'm gonna say both are gone by the oh boy, but with before the the before the final media timeout of the first half. I'm gonna say it's a pretty quick poll. So before the four minute mark of the first half, really. Wow, so you got okay. I I I'm going uh and Jeff's gonna document all this because he'll be watching the game. Forty yeah. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go forty five seconds the jacket comes off. Forty five seconds, seconds. comes off. Oh, the entire seconds. game. Of the first forty five seconds of the game. Oh, and the, okay. oh no, no, God, that's that's nuts. What are you you're getting like what plus ten thousand on that? What is, oh my goodness. I'm gonna oh, go five seconds in forty five seconds into the game. Uh, yeah, he, the jacket's coming off. There's going to be a foul call or something. The jacket's I mean, uh, the jacket's no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going. I'm going second media timeout. Second media timeout. By the second media timeout, that's yeah. Yep. The jacket By the under has, twelve. The, the jacket has no. The jacket is pretty loose. It, it has no real value because it can't come off so readily. We, we need. It's really about the tie. We need a when call on off, what is he? Well, do we know for sure he's going to wear a tie? 
Always. Yes. No, he always wears though. No, he wears the suit and tie. That's what's so funny about it. He wears yeah. the suit, but it's gone in rather a minute. So well, no, no. Yeah. He do, well, that's the thing. Why he do doesn't. Do he doesn't wear the suit and tie. He simply has it. It's on. <laughs> why he doesn't invest like in a sweater vest or something like I don't know. It's it's just. Uh, I mean, there's a good suits that it's been going to waste. So I'm going 45 <laughs> seconds. The jacket's off. I'm going. The tie is gone. By the media timeout, since you took the four minutes, I'm not going to copy. I will go the under eight timeout. The under eight timeout in the first half. The tie's off. He's not happy with the. Yeah, I'm going to go with. Basically, that. Kelvin Sampson will be half undressed sometime in the first half of tomorrow night's game. Jeff, <laughs> chime in. You got it. You got it. All right. I'm I'm under we should, twelve. We should, You're we under eight. <laughs> yeah, and I'm under four. There I'm you at go. Four. Perfect. We should also mention, since we said the game's on uh, CBS Sports Network, that uh, beloved Mike O'Donnell will be actually on the call for this game. Yes, this is great. Starts. Former ESPN uh, Chris Hassel will be the, the crew. It's a good crew, though. That'll be a lot of fun um, for that. That'll be a fun game. I know, sincerely, I hope a lot of people come out to the game. Uh, Murph and I will be there. I'll be sitting next to Murph in anticipation of that. We're going to just stalk Samson there. I think Luke <laughs> will be down on the court side. Uh, he might focus on the basketball. Really yeah. Soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, Luke might watch basketball. I'm watching it, clothes. <laughs> you guys are yeah, right. you guys I'm are the fashion clothes, the fashion police on Meteor Row here. Great. Um, serious shout out. Serious shout out. And I know this means a lot to you, Jeff, as well. Very historic day in this uh, in Orlando market in Sports Talk Radio on Friday is Jerry O'Neill's last radio sports talk show. His host on Friday. He's retiring in sports talk. He will remain obviously in the sidelines for UCF football, and he'll be doing sidelines for the Apollos starting on Saturday, but his last show, Friday on 96.9 from 3 to 6 with the Shot Doctor, the finish line. Jeff, you got a chance to be on uh, on their show, on their last season together uh, doing UCF segments every Friday, and the last hour of that show is open to the public over there by uh, where iHeart uh, Studios are at, so uh, I just want to give a salute there. That's what I'm going to be heading out there on Friday to salute Jerry, uh, who obviously I got to work with and, uh, when we were at 1080 as his producer and his fill, I filled in his co-host. I recently filled in for him on the finish line. So very historic day. Jerry has been on the air for two decades. Uh, Jeff, I know that means a lot to you. Somebody who's uh, radio geeks like we are, that, that's a big day in this, in, in this industry here in this market. And on behalf of all of us on this podcast, I would like to say, and on this website, I would like to say congratulations to Jerry on a job well done over um like you said eric two decades you know he's helped he's helped me he's helped you um it's he's helped our website by uh having us on uh as a guest to talk about ucf and help promote the site and uh, i just want to send a heartfelt thank you to jerry um for the help that he's given us um over the years we really appreciate him congratulations and uh even though we'll be sad to not hear him every day on uh, the finish line was shot um, I am happy that we will hear him uh, on the sideline for UCF. And also, like you mentioned, for uh, the Orlando Apollos, which, oh, by the way, great segue, uh, will be kicking off on Saturday on CBS. Um, and uh, uh, and it'll be, by the way, I think they have the, uh, didn't they have the announcer crews just announced for that too, Eric yes, Lopez? Yes, want to hear it? Yeah. I Andrew think it's Andrew Catalan, who's really good. I really like Andrew Catalan. Gary Danielson. And Gary, Gary Danielson. Danielson yep. will be actually at Spectrum Stadium. How bizarre that's going to be, Mr. S. Wow. He's going to be on the... Well, you got Spurrier. No, it's Danielson calling a Spurrier game. That's what it is. That's 
That's re- a little so, retrospect. Like yeah, that. very good. And then Melanie Collins, my, my Melanie Collins, my friend, will be on the sideline. That, yeah, that'll be fun. So that'll be opening kickoff for that there, game will be Saturday. There, I'm planning on it. I'm planning on it. At least that. Uh, at least that's that's the hope. We'll have to see. I, my, the whole family's getting trying to get used get over a uh, really bad illness that knocked all of us out. But uh, if things go well on Saturday, I would love to see the inaugural game of the uh, Orlando Apollos and the Alliance against the Atlanta. Uh, legends, by the way, uh, and uh, Luke Saris, by the way, has a piece up right now about the uh, UCF players who made the final Apollos roster and what to expect uh, from all of them. Last but not least, Brian Murphy, what you got? Uh, I am going to be throwing out more rational, lukewarm takes. Uh, <laughs> lukewarm as takes. I am going to piece together an article about before tomorrow's game against Houston, uh, really more about what this 10 game stretch means, what this, what, what this game in a microscope means, sort of the bigger picture of things that no, I, I, I can hear it everywhere. Everyone is so pumped in for this game and I'm glad they are because this, this program and this team, you know, at, at 16 and, and four deserves, uh, you know, a lot of publicity, but I just feel like, you know, maybe we should put things into perspective and when you say perspective, you should also say Brian Murphy because that's all I do. Mm-hmm. I'm just I, that's why I won't. That's why I, I won't be rich in this business, Jeffrey. Because <laughs> I just don't sell out for the hot <laughs> takes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So like our hot Super Bowl takes as we argued for two and a half hours on Super Bowl Sunday about whether or not Jared Goff was good. <laughs> like actually, not yeah, not dur- not during not not good during the game by the. Not good during not good during the game because that that ship has sailed. But like good in yeah, and, a, in the and, abstract, <laughs> and you know, and you know who avoided that conversation entirely? Yeah, be, Your boy yeah, right be, here because yeah. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole when it's a stupid argument. By the way, Jared Goff uh, uh, can confirm uh, has changed his legally his name next year in fantasy leagues. He will not be known as Jared Goff. He's going to be known as Jared Goof. How bad he was! Uh, first of all, thank you. Thank terrible, you terrible Jared, joke. Everybody I'm, knows. I'm everybody, the only one of us who's a. That... <laughs> Go ahead, Jeffrey. Now gonna... you speak. No, I'm sorry, Brian. I was going to say I'm the <laughs> only one out of the three of us who's an actual dad, and that's the worst dad joke I've ever heard. And it's so bad. It's not even. It's not even the best nickname because Jared Gaff makes a ton more sense. Oh, now that see, that's is actually really... that's, yes, that's you, man. That's funny. It's... <laughs> It's, it's it was like it, it, I mean like I never got Jared Goof Jared Gaff is so much easier but even then it's a stupid hill to die on because of one game in the Super Bowl but whatever thank you whatever. Right, another thank bonus you. another bonus prediction Murph will we find out what is wrong with I'm Todd Gurley stopping this conversation right now <laughs> right so you're really now hold on Jeff hold on Jeff I know you're gonna lose control but I, I need to like encapsulate what we should what we should ask to me what's gonna happen so, first what so, what was gonna happen first are we really gonna find out what happened with Todd Gurley in the postseason in the Super Bowl or is Manny Machado right. and Bryce Harper oh, gonna sign so first? again on a UCF podcast I have been asked about a Los Angeles Ram or either a Washington National or Los Angeles Dodger or Chicago White Sox or Philadelphia Philly um, that's where this podcast is I, I will say we will not find out about Gurley until probably August. So I think by then I'm going to guess Harper and Machado will be playing baseball somewhere. And this probably should be the end of this, this conc- wayward podcast. This concludes 
the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Uh, you can reach out to us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are SB Nation's home for the UCF Knights. Uh, reach us out. Reach out to us individually uh, on Twitter at uh, Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, uh, and Spokes underscore Murphy. Collectively, uh, all of us, by the way, make sure you follow all of our guys, uh, uh, Luke Saris, uh, Jeremy Brenner, uh, Zach Goodall, who I don't know how he balances the Jaguars and doing cool stuff for us. Uh, Chris Carter as well, UCF Knights Nation, all of our guys. I want to thank them all so much. Uh, for all their help, as usual, and the work that they've done all throughout this entire time has been fantastic, so thanks to them. Make sure you give them all a follow. UCF underscore Banneret is where you can find us all on Twitter, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Uh, And, of course, if you don't uh, already or haven't already, make sure you subscribe and uh, rate our podcast as well. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher. And tune in for Brian Murphy and Eric Lopez. I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We will catch you next week.